Hey, this is Nate Dancer with Purity for Life. Thanks for joining us for the eighth episode in our series, Babylon, the Seat of Satan's Power. Up to this point in the series, we've been taking a bird's eye view of the spiritual realm because we want you to see that the world is being controlled by an ancient spirit that is bent on drawing mankind into rebellion against God. Now, it's time to start zooming in. We're going to look at some of the practical, everyday things that the spirit of Babylon is using to accomplish his goal, not just in the world, but in us. We'll expose some of the vulnerabilities in our nature and some of the vulnerabilities in the religious system around us, because these things, if not dealt with, leave us exposed to a very powerful, very seductive, very evil spirit. Today, we'll look at the massively important realm of desire. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Patrick, our show's editor, and he mentioned that the topic of desire keeps coming up in the series, in show intros and in interviews, and I started wondering why. I think that it's because I've become convinced that one of the most important subjects in the Bible is desire. The Apostle Peter said this incredible phrase, the corruption that is in the world through lust. And that word, lust, can also be translated desire. So think about what he's saying. Every bit of corruption that is in the world has come through the gateway of human desire. Let me show you something. Pause this podcast, if you can, and go read the story of Satan tempting Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll wait here. Okay, are you back? (laughs) Did you go and read the story? Anyway, if you did that, and if you read closely, what you saw was that the Bible never says that the tree was inherently evil. What the Bible does say was that the fruit was a delight to the eyes, it was good for food, and it was desirable to make her wise. And so Satan knew that if he could appeal to the desires within her, and if he could get her to willingly transgress the clear command of God, she would herself open the door for corruption and death to come into her inner world, which would ultimately destroy her. And so what I see in that story is a type, a picture of what is happening all around us every single day. Day by day, Satan is using this world's system to offer us things that are desirable to us. And if he can get us by our own desires to willingly transgress the commands of God, we will ourselves walk away from the life of God. All right, that's enough for now. Let's get to the first segment. For the last seven episodes, we've been aiming at one thing to help you see that the world is controlled by an ancient spirit, 
a spirit that is bent on influencing the whole of mankind to join in his rebellion against God's authority. And we want you to see how he influences us so that you can vigilantly guard yourself from being overcome by his schemes. Today we look at the huge role that desire plays in our lives and how the enemy seeks to exploit this for his own purposes. Largely speaking, we human beings are driven through life by our desires. We're driven by the desire for success, the desire for security, the desire for acceptance, the desire for love, the desire for relationships. We crave money, sex, food, enjoyable experiences, and many other things. And as we hunger for these things, we move toward them in the hopes that we will obtain them. This steers the course of our lives and moves us in a definite direction. This is critical to understand because the fact of the matter is the devil does have a definite spiritual direction he wants us to go in and a very real destination he wants us to reach. His goal for our lives is separation from God, both in this life and in eternity. And one of the primary ways he works to accomplish this goal is simply by appealing to what he knows we already want. This is how he ties you into the spiritual system of Babylon. But as we consider the part that desire plays in our lives, we must also understand how our will works hand in hand with our desires. While it is true that a desire for something can influence us, it's our will that actually makes the decision to go get it. This is why as followers of Christ, we must be very discerning as to what desires we allow to be a force in our lives. Clearly, every godly desire can be fed and followed, but there are also very sinful desires in each of us. So how do we successfully control those? To answer that question, we must begin by taking a brief look at the Greek term for desire in the New Testament. The word is epithumia, which is a derivative of the word thumos. Now this is where it gets interesting because the basic meaning of thumos is violent movement. And it's often used to describe the passions of people which can erupt in a storm of desire or a fury of rage. Any comprehension of the Greek term epithumia is superficial without this fuller understanding about how quickly desire can turn into a raging storm in the soul of a person. In other words, a person's desires might be fairly restrained in everyday life, but there's always the potential for them to go suddenly completely out of control. We're looking at how our desires interact with the Babylonian system, but it needs to be said that not all desires are wrong. In fact, epithumia can be used in a positive sense, such as when Jesus told his disciples, Many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see. Those men of ancient days probably had a burning passion to have a greater sight into the age of the Messiah that they knew was coming. However, 
In the Bible, epithumia is usually translated with the English word lust because the biblical writers were very concerned about the need to address the longing and passion people can have for sin. And this issue was dealt with quite often. Paul reminded the Ephesians that they formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. James wrote that when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Peter told his readers, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And of course, the Apostle John said, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. These are all examples of the word epithumia in the New Testament. People of the world are driven through life by their various lusts for sinful pleasures. But as believers, we are called to a higher standard of living. Obviously, if the desire we feel inside is directed towards something sinful, then we must turn away from it. To even meditate on it is dangerous because of its potential to explode into sinful behavior. And this is exactly what the enemy exploits in their dealings with people. They understand that if they can keep introducing a sinful idea into a person's mind, that there's a good chance that that idea will build enough momentum that it will eventually seem irresistible. At that point, making the decision to cross the line into actual sin is not that big of a step. This is why it is so important for a believer to stop the process before it gets to that point. This is where a person's lifestyle plays such a crucial role in the decisions he makes. Living a godly lifestyle will act as a buffer to the irresistible urges to sin. It's not that he cannot sin, it's just less likely that sin will gain any real hold in his life. Such a godly lifestyle can be simplified down to two basic components, one positive and one negative. Maintaining a vibrant devotional life is a must for anyone who wishes to live above the carnal level of life this world offers. A godly person will begin his day connected to the Lord in a very real way. Time spent in the Word will influence his thinking and affect what he desires in life. Time spent in prayer will enable the Holy Spirit to empower him to reject those enticements to sin. All of this takes place long before the temptation even occurs. The second aspect of a godly lifestyle is simply doing one's best to avoid the influences of Babylon. For thousands of years, all a Christian had to do to escape the world's lures was to stay away from the areas of town where vice thrived. In our age, Satan has brought it right into our homes through television and the internet. Establishing a godly standard of life includes the discipline to avoid entertainment that creates a sensuous atmosphere or provokes lustful thinking. Desire is a part of human life. We cannot help the fact that we must live our lives in the Babylonian system, but we can make decisions that would determine the lifestyle we choose for ourselves. And when it comes right down to it, 
It really amounts to what we desire for our lives. Do we want to be a part of God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom? All right, let me set up this next segment. Patrick and I thought that it would be really helpful to bring in someone to talk about James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, because what James chapter 1 shows us is that if we don't deal with trials and temptations effectively, it's going to start a process within us that will lead to sin. And sin, ultimately, if left undealt with, will lead to death. So we have to learn how to deal with temptation. Okay, Luke, thanks for coming in. Good to be here. Um, What we want to do today... Mm-hmm. is we want to talk about James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Yes. Because I think that that passage is going to be a really helpful commentary mm-hmm. on um, something that Pastor Steve talked about in the first part of this episode. Okay. He was talking about how the spirit of Babylon is trying to take us in a very very specific direction, which is away from God, mm-hmm. away from life, and into the kingdom of darkness. Sure. But he does it by grabbing a hold of our own desires. Yes. Right? And so James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, is all about how... Um, to, is, is really all about taking responsibility yeah. for those Exposes desires. Exposes the devil's whole master plan there. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Right, so um, that's what we want to talk about in this discussion. So, um, yeah, so you and I, we studied this passage for a couple of days, and I thought it would be good to bring some of what we learned to the table, try to shed some light on this issue. Let me just open it up this way. Just overall, your impression of this passage? What was something that really stood out to you? Well, one thing that jumps out right from the beginning is he says, count it all joy, or reckon it nothing but joy. Mm -hmm. And, okay, the fact that we're having a battle and a struggle with our flesh or our desires is in some way a sense of joy. Mm. Realize that that, that's a good thing, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, okay... There's a way of escape. That's what I love about it as well. It ends with saying that God is good, always good, Mm. and he'll always be able to get you out of this. Mm -hmm. So he fleshes out kind of the battle in in the middle and throughout the chapter, but it's like, just be grateful that you're in a fight right now, and also be grateful that the Lord is good, always good, and will get you out of it. Yeah. So that's why I, I do appreciate James, how he teaches this concept. Okay. Yeah, let me just read um, verses 13 through 15, and uh, then we can just kind of have a discussion sure. about it. This is from the English Standard Version, James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Um, 
Did you did you look at the word temptation? Did you learn anything about the word temptation when you were studying? Temptation. Well, it was the temptation, and is sometimes also translated as trial, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken on yeah. that. Right. Yeah. 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 That was interesting to me because I was thinking about my own life. You know, what is temptation? What is trial? Mm-hmm. And like you said at the beginning, just that we can count it all joy. That's not the normal reaction. And Barnes said that temptation or trial is anything that will test the reality of our religion. Hmm. And um, just understanding that God's heart is to put us to the test, not not to disapprove of us, mm-hmm. but so that the reality of our faith would actually pass the test in the end. Um, that was something that kind of stood out to me as I was going through it. Yes, because like anything, even in the natural sense, we test things to make sure that they work. Oh, and that's yeah. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's yeah. normal. You test drive a vehicle typically before you purchase it. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, so things, so that concept is certainly something we understand and we can relate to. And so, okay, when we have a profession of faith in the Lord and he says, okay, I want to test that. I want to build that faith that you have in me. And I found that anytime these, first of all, I find that when I view temptation as a trial and kind of merge the two and not like separate them, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity for my faith to grow. This is an opportunity for me to prove my faith that it works, you know, and so that that is a blessing to think of it that way. It's helpful for me, at least. Yeah, okay, so then, <laughs> yeah, when I was studying, that's one of the things that mm-hmm. he brought up, right, is that there is, or one of, the, one of the commentators brought up, that there is a way in which God can be said to tempt us or test us. Mm-hmm. If we're thinking, okay, if the, if the word can mean temptation or trial, there are specific ways that God does tempt us or try us, and then there are specific ways which God never can be said to have tempted us or to try us. Mm-hmm. What is the way that God never tempts us? Expositor says that it cannot be God's will to seduce him from the path of life to the path of death. Okay. It's not God's desire to take us off of where we're going and what we're doing. It's not his desire to make us to sin or even cause us to go through some uh, situation where we would be tempted to sin. Like, that's not, he's not trying to trip us up. But he also knows that if we don't depend on him and walk in poverty of spirit, we'll fall prey to our own pride and our own self-righteousness and won't rely on him and we won't be able to walk this out. Yeah, so he's not trying, he's never trying to destroy us in any way. No, his desire would be, his desire for us would always be that we successfully walk through any of these temptations and not give over to them. That would be his desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've been counseling men in our residential program for how many years now? 
Oh, it's almost six. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you've had a lot of experience in the counseling office mm-hmm. with different men. And then now as the director of our residential program, you're being called into a lot of different situations to talk with men. Sure. How often do you find that men are subtly blaming God for their sin? They're not saying those words, but that's what's really behind it. Sure, I would say that's uh, happens fairly often, but exactly the way you said it, it's not that they're saying it's God's fault. It's not that they're saying, you know, directly that I blame God for the way I'm acting. But that is what they are implying, or that is really what their meaning when they say things like, but I've tried this and I've tried that, meaning like I've tried going to the altar, I've tried repenting, I've tried all of the godly things and it doesn't work. And it's just like, well, are you saying that God's a liar? Yeah. You know, like, or, I mean, if you go, it it goes all the way back to the garden when you could take these, this, this thinking goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when Adam said to the Lord, well, it's this woman you gave me. As if you brought this temptation into my life, like, don't blame me. You're the one who (laughs) brought her to me, (laughs) you know? Or so it's like, listen, don't blame me, God. These are the desires that I was born with. Mm. It's not my fault. Or this was the trauma I experienced in my life. I didn't do anything about that, so don't try to get me, you know, my thinking's messed up because of something I didn't do. So don't, you know, blame me for it. You're kind of blaming God then in that mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. I think it's really subtle and it's really tricky when we talk about some of these things, you know, because at some level we are delving into some deep waters. We are. <laughs> because now we're talking about the the place where God's sovereignty mm-hmm. meets human responsibility and free will, and it's just not... We can't really present this clear, cut-and-dry kind of formula for, oh, this is exactly how it works, and we, we understand all that. But, but what we do understand from God's Word is that it's never God's fault if we sin. This is correct, yes. That's what we know. Yes, yeah. And that's, that's, to me, that's like a foundational piece, though. It's like I could wrestle with, well, I don't understand how this works because I have maybe, and maybe it's like I've sincerely sought the Lord. I've sincerely gone to the altar. I've sincerely done all these things, and I keep failing. But I don't understand why I don't have victory. And sometimes it's difficult even in, even in counseling to walk through a guy. Sometimes it just takes a long time to try to figure out because I'm like, I don't know what the missing piece is. But one thing I do know for sure is it's not God's fault. Like we have to at least come to the realization that I'm in this behavior because of the choices that I'm making. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to get beyond that or past that. Like, well, why am I making these choices? I don't know sometimes, you know, but I know that there's a desire in me for this evil that hasn't been broken yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it hasn't been broken yet sometimes. And that's where it just, that's where I, I don't know if the Lord uses these struggles at times just to get us to really seek him. Because if anytime we prayed for something, 
it was just vanished, or anytime we sought the Lord on something, it was just fixed. I don't think we would spend the hours and the hours and the years maybe at times really seeking the Lord for a breakthrough of something in our life or really studying scripture or getting counsel or humbling ourselves in so many different ways so that we we are now so invested in mm. trying to find help in this that the Lord's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm so pleased with your desire to pursue me. And that's why it's like, I think James taps into that. He's like, don't get so discouraged over this fight. Take joy in the fact that you could pursue me, even though like the trials are going to be heavy. Yes, it's your own desires, but pursue me through it. Fight through it and take joy in this struggle, in this fight, because I'm purifying you with it. Hmm. And at the end, like I do believe, like if you're really pursuing the Lord, like you're going to find the victory you're looking for. If if you're sincerely in that pursuit, yeah, you know, so yeah, yeah and I I th- I think for maybe somebody who is this isn't necessarily the only thing that James is talking about, but I do think there could be a specific application, which is that. He's definitely telling someone who has been in sin maybe for a year or five years or ten years mm-hmm. that you are in the condition you're in because of your own sin, because of your own self, your own selfish desires. Never get to the place where you are going to say, well, really, I've done everything I need to do. God hasn't come through, and therefore it must not be His will that I have freedom. Yeah, you know. And so I, yeah, I've I've been to the altar. Yeah, I've been confessing my sin. Yeah, I've been getting help help for it, and nothing's really changing. And so God must be okay with this. You know, He understands, mm-hmm. and I'll do the best I can. But I'm not really gonna, you know, I'm not really gonna beat myself up because I'm not finding victory. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not acceptable. No, no, and that's the certainly is the temptation. And but it's even in, in verse twelve where he says, "Like blessed is the man who endures this temptation." You're going to have to really fight through this thing, this trial. Yeah. And blessed is the man who does fight through it and endures through this trial. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where this verse just doesn't leave you, verse 13, where it says, you know, or really 14 as well, where it's talking about it, and it's like, it just doesn't leave you a way of escape. Like, the sin is the product of my desires. It's the product of the choices I've made, and there's no way around it. This, this scripture, it's the Word of God. He's explaining how sin works, and he's saying it comes from your desires within you, your mm-hmm. evil desires, even or illicit desires, things that you you know, are beyond or past the restrictions that the Lord has placed, you know? And so it's like, what? <laughs> there's no way around this verse. <laughs> yeah. So it keeps you in that fight. There's no accepting sin with this verse because this is a problem. What about verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire? As you studied that, what mm-hmm. were some of the things that stood out to you? One of the things that jumped out to me is, in verse 14, when he's talking about that your temptation, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away, that concept of being drawn away is like 
there's not as much, it seems like the word is used, like there's not as much control on the individual. Like you have now been held captive and you're being drawn away. Mm. And I was thinking about like how Paul uses that in Romans and he's like, you are become a slave to your sin and becoming a slave to something that's drawing you away. Mm. But if I look at like a fishing war, because that's all in there as well, and James was a fisherman. Hmm. And I think like he probably thought of this somehow. It's like a lure. And Satan or the devil or, or whatever, the kingdom of darkness has a box of lures. So it's like the enemy knows what lures I'm attracted to, and they're probably different than the lures that you're attracted to. And there's just a huge array of lures that the enemy could use. And so if that, whatever it is that I'm desiring, and it could be that I'm just desiring food, you know, okay, the fish is hungry and wants to eat something, and that looks like a worm. Nothing wrong with that, okay? So, but that's what attracts him. But it's like once he takes that bite and he's hooked in there, he's now being drug away and he doesn't have a choice in the matter Mm. at this point. Like you Uh are now being drug away, but it's not – don't blame the lore's fault or don't blame it. You chose to go and bite onto this thing. You know, you chose to make that decision. So that part of that verse I thought was interesting there where it takes you on a place where you can become – like almost held captive to your desires. And I certainly could relate to that in my my personal life where there are times where I just like was so sick and tired of my sin, but it felt like I couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. Like just how do I stop this thing? You know, it just keeps taking me further and and holding me longer and taking me places I don't want to go and things I didn't want to do. And, you know, and it's just like, what in the world is going on here? It's madness. Yep. Like, well, because you have become a slave to your desires. Yeah, and I think there is just some benefit in really grabbing a hold of what he's saying here, mm-hmm. that this is my own desire, right? Okay, that thing is attractive to me, mm-hmm. whatever it is, we deal with sexual sin, you know, okay. Pornography is attractive to me. Mm-hmm. Why? Is it like, well, it's just a demonic tempt. It's just a demon. Mm-hmm. But it's attractive to you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? And it's attractive to you because of what you're like, mm-hmm. not because of what it's like, not because it's a demonic thing. It's attractive to you because of what you're like. It's exactly what you were saying with the with the fish and the different lures. Sure. There's something in the fish that makes it attracted to that lure. Yeah, and that's what you were kind of touching on. I think in the beginning, it's like that land of that realm of desire, where Satan knows that man has a desire for sex, and that's a God given desire. Mm-hmm. It has to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, it was given by the Lord to man. But there's also restrictions on that. And there's rules of how that operates. And within its context, it's a beautiful thing and it's condoned and blessed by the Lord. But Satan doesn't want it that way. He wants it outside of that outside of the rules and the boundary lines that the Lord has put in place. It's just like you could eat of every other tree in the garden. Just don't eat of this one. Yep. So 
of course, which is the one that the devil comes and says, okay, this is the one you want, the only one in the garden you can't eat. If they would have just maintained the freedom, <laughs> mm. the free restrictions that they had, they had the whole garden. They just couldn't, you know. So the the devil then uses those even sometimes pure desires and he says, I'm going to take that desire and I'm going to take it outside of the boundaries that the Lord has provided and now we're, now we're entering into sin. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it it is real. It's, it's an actual desire that you have that may not be evil in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, and one of the things that um, when I was studying that the commentators kept talking about was that if you don't resist sin at the level of your desire, then you're going to keep going down a pathway. Yes. Right? It's not enough to say, well, I'm going to... I'm going to fight and all of my fight is going to be external, you know? Like I got to get a blocker. Yes. And I got to yeah. get accountability and I got to let people know, you know, give people access to my credit cards. Like where that's going to be your protection, you've mm-hmm. got to go way deeper and start looking at at your desire and looking at at the lust and you got to fight it right at that level. Like you can't entertain yeah. Those desires for long no. No, before you it start it starts conceiving. Yes. And that's exactly what James is saying here. You need to get to that place of realizing that the root of this issue is your desire. It's not a lack of accountability, it's not a lack of software, it's not a lack of protection or boundaries. You have this desire, and that's where the fight needs to take place. It's not better software. You mm-hmm. could be in the heat of lust in solitary confinement, you know, and still be in lust. Yeah. <laughs> you have a desire. That's where you need to Yeah, that's that's a really good point there. That's where you need to start your fight. Yeah, and so then this enticed, this uh this word enticed was interesting too because it's kind of like it brings in the idea of a prostitute. Yes. Interesting. In Proverbs 7, it talks about the adulterous woman who lures in the um, naive man, or depending on what translation you use, the man who lacked common sense or... Okay, yeah, um, foolish. Foolish, yeah, whatever different translations use that. And one of the translations had said that she enticed him. Mm. And that's like the trap, though, that takes place. It's, It's all part of this... You get you have the lure that drags you away. You've got the um, compelling argument, the attack from the enemy. You've got the trap. It's like all one big system that works together to really get this person away from the will of God. But yeah, that word enticed, I thought was yeah really interesting. Like at this point, you are now trapped, and mm. it's got you. And I I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that I started thinking about like this in my own life, in the times when I have given over to sin Mm -hmm. or given in to sin, it's it's not typically like a, I have a temptation and I just do it. 
mm-hmm. it's oftentimes it's like temptation. Okay, resist it. Mm-hmm. Fight. Mm-hmm. Get yep. prayer. Open up. Mm-hmm. Okay, more temptation. Mm-hmm. All right, you're fighting. Mm-hmm. More temptation. All right, now it's like you're kind of weakening. Mm-hmm. You're yes. you're not fighting as strongly. You're starting to toy with the idea. Walk down the path. You're starting to oh yeah. maybe I can mm-hmm. just yeah maybe I can just go a little bit. I won't I won't totally give in. It'll just yep. be this mm-hmm. you know. And it's like it can be this progression. It could take days before you actually. Um, you know, you could have been said that I've been lured away or I've been enticed away. Um, it could be days for some people. It could be weeks or whatever, but there's just this process that's happening inside. But then you eventually get to verse 15 where, okay, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to actual sin. Um, what did you... When you studied this, what did you learn? It's interesting. This is where I think in in some ways it's hard to, because I I think honestly what some people have done with this, and maybe even I have used this in the past, is like, okay, well, you're not sinning yet until you've, you know, like, so let's just study this first and figure out at what point does my lustful thinking become a sin? As long as I'm only thinking about it, then it's not a sin. But once it's conceived, then it has become a sin. But then I take that into the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So I'm like, okay, well, how does that fit with James that says I didn't <laughs> technically do it, you know? And so... That's a good point, yeah. I, I don't think James is saying with this verse, like, these are all the things you're allowed to do before it becomes a sin. <laughs> but once you've done this, psh, now snap, you're in the, the trap of sin. Um, and, you know, I... I don't think any of this, any step in this direction is towards the Lord. Yeah, that, you know? yeah that's good. Um, so I, to say that everything up to this point hasn't been sin mm-hmm. seems like that's probably not the, the real heart of the message here. Okay. I think in some ways he's saying, okay, once this desire has conceived, now you've committed to doing it, or maybe oftentimes then that starts an action, an outward flow. Okay. But I know in my own life where I've had my wrestles and my thoughts and I'm going through this battle and I'm going through this temptation, it seems like at the end of verse 14 where he says that enticed, that's it's like to me the sound of the trap closing. Okay, so now you you've you've played around with this thing, you've looked at it because you have the desire for it, you took the bite, you're now getting drug away and it's like snap. Now you're in the trap. Okay, now you're going to conceive sin. And it's like sometimes in my mind I've made that decision before I've even committed anything, but in my mind I'm like, it's already done. And now we're in the level, it's just a matter of when am I I going to do it? When am I going to actually act out the fantasy or the thought that I've already conceived in my mind? But at that point it's sin. Like that's sin, you've already done it in your heart. Like, you don't have to actually do the outward behavior, and that's what Jesus is saying in in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, you've already committed the act in your heart. That's sin. And I don't care if you never leave your apartment. You live that kind of a lifestyle, it's going to give birth to death. Hmm. Like, that doesn't lead to the kingdom of God, that kind of lust-filled lifestyle. I think that's more what James is trying to say there. 
yeah, it, it, I, yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Cause I do, I think that you're right that eventually, um, and maybe what he's saying is that if you toy or indulge or play around with any sinful desire, eventually you are going to commit some kind of outward sin. Yeah. So in in a sense, it's not like you're saying, it's not that, oh, well, I can allow this and this and this and this as long as I don't do anything. His point is that if you allow any of this, you are being lured and being enticed, and it's just a matter of time before you start doing something else. Yeah, that's that's the heart, I believe, of Psalm 1, where David's saying, blessed is the man who does not walk in the council, does not stand in the path, and does not sit in the seat. Like, don't even go that way. It's like me, um, on Google Maps, I could look through downtown Manhattan, I don't know the exact location, but I say, you know what, it's it's around this street and this cross street. That's where I used to go to indulge in my sin. So it would probably be, I don't know if it would be sinful. <laughs> Here we go where it's like, I don't know where we're at. But if I were to say, you know what, next time I visit New York, I think I'm just going to hang out around that area and see if I could find the building. I'm not sinning. I was, you know, I'm just going to check it out. Well, I mean... I don't know, like, at what point does that become sin? Because I don't think that's the right thing to do, Yeah, you know? And, yeah. it, and, it's, and the, you're not going to be blessed if you're walking down that path. And if any, at, at the very least, it's foolishness, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think you're probably not necessarily, fo- like, walking in the Spirit. Like, I don't think the Holy Spirit's leading you down there. So it's just like, I don't know, we... We have a saying in the residential program, like, aim for the center. Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of Christians, we can get off because we're trying to get as close to darkness as we can without crossing this line that we have in our mind of what's sin and what's not. And I don't really think that's the way the Lord looks at it, where he's like, why are you trying to get so close? Where's your heart? Where's your heart at in this? And the Lord's going to pierce right through the nonsense and look at the heart, because that's where it's like, okay, now you fall, and we hear these stories all the time, and I deal with it in the counseling office, where it's like, all of a sudden, like, yeah, I'm sleeping with this prostitute. How, how did this happen? What do you mean, how did you, all of a sudden, you woke up, you just had woke up, and you were in bed with her. That's just remarkable. You know, like like Aaron, I just threw in the gold, and out came a calf. I have no <laughs> idea how this happened. <laughs> no, <that's> not... <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's back this up a little bit, you know, and, and it's like, no, you... The reason you were walking down that road is you wanted to find the place. You wanted to see it. You wanted to go inside. You wanted to indulge in it. That's why you did it. Mm. And if you don't take ownership of that, you're never going to get freedom. And I I, I, I don't know why it's so sensitive to me, but it's like because I could relate to that. And it's like that sin, uproot that desire. And I think that's what James is trying to say here. That desire is what is going to kill you. Uproot it right from the beginning. There's no excuses. Don't go blaming God because you got yourself in a jam when you were there. You were the one who wanted it. That's Mm. what he's trying to say there, I believe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think all of us could probably look at times where we've 
given in in some way Mm -hmm. and said, way before I actually did something that I'm saying, oh, okay, wow, that was sin, there was this process happening inside where we're making internal steps. Yeah. That's where you've got to be honest with the Lord. Because if you can get that exposed, that's the most humbling part, I think, of the sometimes of the process. Because what you're exposing is, I have a desire for this evil that I haven't committed yet, but I need to expose this desire. And that could be that could get really dark sometimes when we start really exposing and admitting our hidden desires. Yeah. But that's that's where the fight should be. Mm. If you want to see actual like change in your life, mm-hmm. realizing that man, I <laughs> I just want some dark things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you're saying is really good because part of what comes out in verse 15 is that sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And mm-hmm. what you've been describing is this internal darkness, these desires for sin, Mm -hmm. these desires for evil. And James is saying, listen, if you don't, if you don't really deal with this and if you don't really repent, you are going to eventually bring forth the reality of what you're desiring. You know, your desires really have to change. Um, And I don't mean like, like, again, it's not sin to be tempted. So Correct. <laughs> we're not saying that, like, you have to get to the place where you can no longer be tempted at all. Otherwise, you are going to go to the full extent of your, of your sinful desires. But the point is, if you're not dealing with your desires, something's happening internally. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you're going to bring forth sin, and sin is going to b- begin to also bring forth death. And that's what James is trying to warn us away from is like, don't allow your desires to keep taking you in a direction that's bringing forth death. God wants to give you life. Yes, and he died and so we would be set free from the power of sin. Like before we really came to a place of repentance and brokenness and contrition, really that tearing apart of our will, we we were slaves to sin. The devil had us hooked. We would just, I mean, yeah, we wanted yep. initially, there was that desire for sin, but even sometimes, it's like the world is dark. <laughs> you just don't have to, you don't even have to ask for sin. It, yeah. it comes at you at some guys, it's young, five, four, three, you know, young ages. They're exposed to abuse or whatever. Like mm-hmm. sin is just right at the door. Um, and, but if, when we've come to that place of realizing, wow, what I'm doing is rebellion against the Lord at any point that whenever you come to that place, you just have to realize, okay, what I'm doing right now is against the law of God. That's sin. All right. Well, I'm going to take this before the Lord, plead for mercy, ask for his forgiveness renounce it, like go through that repentance process of coming down and brokenness and contrition before the Lord and asking him to set you free, and that's the beauty of the cross. 
And he's like, okay, I'm going to nail the consequences of this sin to the cross. I'm going to nail it, like Paul says, the, the lusts and the passions and its desires, nail them to the cross, and now there's a new life that the Lord can give you mm-hmm. where you're no longer a slave to sin. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like the heart of the gospel where, yes, like you were saying, we will always have temptation, and the fact that um, evil is in this world like we can't change that and the fact that at times we are attracted to evil we we just can't change that that it's just the way it is um but we are no longer a slave to that you're no longer um being drugged away like enticed and trapped and um drawn away really right like like you that doesn't have to be the path that you're taking anymore mm-hmm. that's the hope of this whole message here yeah yeah, and and both of us can definitely attest to the fact that, like you're saying, this process can be reversed. Yes. Because, you know, I've definitely been in spiritual—I've been in places internally and mm-hmm. where I wanted to stop— sinning, but I did not know how. It was like every day I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again, and Mm -hmm. you just start to ask yourself, like, how could I... I don't even know how to change. I mean, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to change. I want to be different, but I don't know how to be. And, um, you know, when we... When you really start taking personal responsibility, it's like you were saying, that's the beginning when you will take personal responsibility, the reason I am doing this is because I want it. Mm-hmm. And then you start to begin to plead with the Lord, like, please change me. Break my will. I break, remember yeah, praying that for months and months in the program. Break mm-hmm. my will, Lord. Break it, break it. Because I became very clear to me that the reason I am here, the reason I'm at where I'm at in life is because I've just been doing what I wanted. I wanted this. Yeah. Now I'm here. Yeah. And it's conceived, sure, all of the sin and destruction in my life, but it's because of the things that I wanted and the things that I pursued. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think we have to draw attention to that where he says, do not be deceived about this. Because it it seems like maybe the argument he was addressing with with this group of people was they were, like you were saying, trying to blame God, in some part at least, and he's like, don't be deceived over this issue of sin in your life. And if you're struggling with sexual addiction or sexual sin of any kind, it's I think James would try to say, like, don't be deceived thinking that this is some thing that God has just made you this way and this is how it's going to be for you forever. Don't be deceived. Only good, perfect, pure gifts come from the Lord. That's who he is. He's always good, all the time, 100%. And if we would stay true in that flow, we would only receive his goodness. We'd be able to walk through it. Like Jesus, who walked this earth, tempted in every way that we were, experienced all these trials, but in his heart he said, I'm only doing the will of the Father. He had made hip his mind. Obviously he's God, so you know that's helpful. But we have available to us the Spirit of God. If we would put to death our will and our spirit, we can have that Spirit of God in us that when the temptations come, we're fighting through it. 
But don't be deceived to think that in any way God's not good here. He has a good plan here. <laughs> like He can get you through this. Uh, that's the beauty of the gospel. I think that's something that's very important that James is trying to express here. Yeah. That every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So don't be deceived with this whole battle of where is my sin coming from. No, your sin is coming from your evil desires. You want to break free from that like you were saying. You've got to repent. You've got to put that whole thing to death. All of your evil desires, just put them to death. Mm. Follow the Lord. Mm. And be a doer of it, not just a hearer only. He says it later on, right? You've got to actually put some action behind this. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself deceived. Yeah. (laughs) We recently recorded three of our staff members talking about these very themes. Desire, temptation, and taking responsibility for our own choices. Here's a short excerpt from that conversation. So with this aspect of accepting responsibility, you can see all the time that you weren't willing to do that, and at some point, okay, yes, I need to accept this responsibility. What precipitated that? What prompted you to start finally facing that? I was destroying my marriage. I was screaming at my daughter, 14 years old, um, and she would stand toe-to-toe with me and argue. So one day I left the house voluntarily and moved away because I was afraid that in my rage I would lose it, and my wife was in agreement. Uh, So I knew things were quickly dissolving and um, hitting the floor. I had a gun to my head. I heard this voice say, you need to go to Kentucky. My pastor had already mentioned it to me about five years before when I confessed. And I think finally showing up here, what got me was the Bible had never been a living document. It had been something I read. It had been a part of what you do when you're in church. Okay, so yes, you read the Word, you memorize some Scripture, but there was no power in my life because I was in sin constantly. But when I finally saw the sacrifice of God, that's what broke me. When I realized he died for my sin, I went to the cross and I just threw out everything that I'd had, everything I thought was important. I just said, okay, I'm giving up. I quit. I'm not going to keep trying to shift the blame. I'm going to accept that I'm the problem, and you're the only answer I have. Hmm. And it was painful. It's still painful just thinking about it. It's painful. But, oh, my goodness, the blessing that came from that. I mean, I experienced a freedom I've never had before. Hmm. (laughs) Fifty years of sin. And he just like, okay, we can deal with this. This is not too hard. And then there came the attendant, uh, well, now we're going to go a little deeper. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about your desires for a lot of things that you never even thought were a sin. So it, yeah, it was really when I went to the cross and I just said, okay, you died for me. It just really hit me here. This atmosphere is so overwhelmingly powerful. The spirit is so intense. You can't avoid it. He mm-hmm. just will hedge you in. Mm-hmm. And there's nowhere to go. <laughs> and that's why some men run and leave because it becomes so heavy. And that's why others break. And he just broke me. 
I just, I let go. It was awesome. <laughs> God is awesome. Praise the Lord. Man, that, that's powerful, Chris. Yeah. I was thinking for me, the mm-hmm. you know, it's words that we all know, conviction, repentance, um, but it because I, it's like we were saying before, I did know that my sin was wrong, but I think for me, it becoming not just head knowledge, but a heart conviction that I cannot keep going down this road. It took me months in the program to even really to see that I still was drawn to my sin and could go that way. But, you know, when I looked back, it was obvious. It's not like I could ever really deny that it was my choices that led me into my sin, that every step of the way to go deeper and deeper. Yeah. But you can know that, and I, I think probably a lot of men would say, yeah, I always knew it was wrong. But that's different than God speaking mm-hmm. it to your heart in a way where you're actually ready to let go. So, yeah, I think that was it was it was that point of conviction for me mm-hmm. in a similar way where I knew God was speaking to me. I knew and it and it impacted mm-hmm. my heart. Um we talk about breakthroughs sometimes in the program and it's different for each person how that looks. Yeah. You know, we're all different, but I think it, you know, if we're open to that, he can get that message through to us somehow and that's I remember exactly where he did that for me, you know, just in the program in a chapel service and then afterwards out on the prayer trail just showing me where I really was at and that it was, you know, I had to turn to him. If you'd like to hear that entire discussion, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the bonus content on episode 499. We're about to wrap up this show, but... I wanted to circle back around and emphasize something that Pastor Steve brought out in the first segment. He talked about how we as humans are full of desire. We desire success, security, acceptance, love, relationships, money, food, enjoyable experiences, and many other things. And hopefully by now, you're beginning to see that to be a creature of desire has incredible potential for good, but it is also incredibly dangerous. If we yield to holy desires, we will walk into beautiful, fulfilled, and productive lives. But if we yield to our own sinful desires, we will walk into a life of corruption and destruction. And so now the issue becomes clearer. Because if we are willingly yielding to sinful desires that are within us, we have to take responsibility for this, both for who we are and for what we have done. And as you heard Luke and I talk about, taking responsibility is absolutely necessary if we're going to learn how to live a new life. Well, I think that's it for today. We still have quite a bit of ground to cover in this series, so I hope that you'll stick with us as we continue to look at this incredibly vital subject. We'll see you next week. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more 
at purelifeministries.org.